Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome back to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With me, as always, I usually say Ellie Mistal, but that's becoming less and less true as this is the second episode in a row that he's not here. But that's because he's on paternity leave with the latest addition to his family. So I think that's an excuse we can all let him get away with for why he's not here. First of all, though, we've still got to do our grinding of the gears, and even though we don't have Ellie to complain about something, we're going to have me complain. And what I'm going to complain about this week is a story I wrote on Above the Law that you can check out about a new article by a professor from Seton Hall who, who posted it on Brian Leiter's blog talking about how law schools need to do a better job of cozying up to the media and controlling the narrative to convince people that they really need to go to law school and that it's a good investment, all evidence to the contrary. Basically, he advocated for law schools to lie better. I mean, not to his mind. He actually thinks every law degree is worth a million dollars, but since we have actual, you know, empirical evidence, we know that's not true. But that's that's what was really grinding my gears this week, is that somebody has kind of the gall at this point to try and say that with the tuition where it is and the high debt that these students are going through and the complete lack of jobs that we're seeing out there, that instead of fixing any of these problems, the correct answer is for a PR campaign to blitz the media and run a snow job on them. So that, that was my grinding of the gears this week. So let's transition now into our actual show. This week we have with us Jared Correa, who is... Uh, now, this is a mouthful. The, he's a law practice management advisor for the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program, or LOMAP, which I'm pretty sure there was, there was a government contractor who, like, does your business cards who lobbied <laughs> for all these titles, right? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but, it sounds terrible when you read it that way. We usually yeah. just call it LOMAP. Yeah, low, well, LOMAP actually is a pretty good acronym if you're going to have one. Uh, <laughs> right. At least it's, it's better than above the law we go with ATL, which means everybody thinks that we're from Atlanta all the time. So <laughs> I, I think that was one that no one really thought of when they came up with that. Oh, well. How could you have known? <laughs> yeah. Jared, Jared's also got a few other hats. He's the host of, much like we're here on the Legal Talk Network, he's the host of a couple of podcasts on the Legal Talk Network, Legal Toolkit and the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing podcast mm -hmm. and he's got a book twitter in one hour for lawyers so let's break down all of these things welcome to the show <laughs> thanks joe i appreciate you guys having me on congratulations to ellie uh, ellie eli i don't know i'm pronouncing ellie. his name exactly. ellie yeah I, I just came back from paternity leave actually oh yeah and it's, a, it's a dangerous time i will tell <laughs> you I did a lot of eating of white chocolate kit kats and watching sports center so hopefully he's uh, enjoying himself in the same way yeah, well, and I just polished off a white chocolate Kit Kat right here, too. So I think Good we're man. all, uh, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about first is probably, let's talk about the low map and what it does. Because this, yeah. this is one of those services that I didn't necessarily know was out there for lawyers. 
Yeah, so there's actually like 37 programs across, uh, like ours, across the mm-hmm. uh, United States and the Canadian provinces. And essentially what we do is law practice management consulting, which is really just business management consulting focused on lawyers. And uh, we've been around for almost 10 years, and uh, we get a decent amount of business because this uh, prior to what you were talking about previously about law schools, yeah. one of the things law schools don't teach people is how to run a business. So yeah. we talked to folks about technology, platforms, marketing, financial management, especially trust accounting, and we're free because we're funded by attorneys bar dues in Massachusetts. That's not the case for every one of these programs. Most of the programs are sponsored by bar associations, uh, but we're affiliated with the local lawyers assistance program. So we use our services and combine them with theirs, and I think we provide uh, some nice support for lawyers and law firms, and at a reasonable price, nothing. Yeah, that can't get much more reasonable. It, yeah. It strikes me, yeah, like this is a an idea that I, I mean, I never really was in solo. I always, I always was yeah. with firms. And so it mm-hmm. never struck me that going out on your own or going out with, into a small firm, you might not have any idea how the business operates and that yes. somebody needs to be there to kind of help you along. Well, yeah, especially for like solo attorneys. I mean, yeah. a lot of those folks don't have anybody to talk to. It's not like they have another managing partner that they can discuss things with. So people just call to talk to me sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And especially back also to the grinding of gears that I was doing, <laughs> given that a lot of we're we're seeing a lot of people come out of law school and unable to get jobs. And that's yeah. caused a spike in people putting up their own shingle. And so I think it's it's becoming more and more important to have this kind of a this kind of a service. Well, I'll tell you, I started here in 09. And uh, mm-hmm. that was when the economy is really in the tank. And we got a lot of people who couldn't find jobs then. I actually find that to be less the case now. Um, but we do still see a lot of lawyers who graduated from law school. And then they came up through the system and they had no idea that they wouldn't be able to find a job. So um. they're going to have to do like a solo practice anyway. So if we're here to help them, I mean, why not uh, be able to provide that service to them? Yeah, no, that, I think that's great. Well, let's transition into going through, as we go through every one of your hats, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about, and, you know, since we're both on the Legal Talk Network, my, as we were setting up for this interview, my favorite, my favorite thing about the exchange we had in setting this up is you, <laughs> when you were first approached, your response to the idea of being on another Legal Talk show was that this yeah. is like when Frank Black showed up on X-Files, <laughs> which you got. And I'm glad you full- got that. Full credit from me on uh, mid-90s millennium reference. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my wife is like a gigantic X-Files fan. And she is uh, all set for the reboot. And she's actually making me watch all of the episodes from the original show. Oh, you weren't fully caught up? She's making me watch him again, if oh. you can believe it. <laughs> this is our second time through. I kind of want to watch something else, but I, I put in my time, you know. This, I figure if I can keep her at home on the couch, it will prevent her from marrying David Duchovny, so I'll be good right. for a little while longer. Well, let's go through Legal Toolkit. So what, right. what's the deal with Legal Toolkit? So that's been a podcast I've been hosting for a while here on the network. Uh, I think that's been since 08 or 09 as well. It started out as a podcast for like a local company in Massachusetts, and they just sort of handed it over to me. (laughs) And it's become like this whole thing. Now I co-host it with Heidi Alexander, who I work with. And essentially what we do is we cover like hot topics in legal technology, marketing, and finance. Um, And we've we've been running a monthly podcast for 
geez, almost six or seven years at this point. And it, it's cool because I get to talk to a lot of interesting people. And we try to do like trends that solo mm-hmm. and small firm attorneys might not necessarily know about. Um, because I think the problem is when you're a solo and small firm attorney, the stuff I talk to them about at least, they're just like head down all the time. And so yeah. if they want to get a case management system, for example, it's just craziness because they look online and there's like 45,000 of them and they don't know which one to choose. So we try to give people insights and mostly information so that they can do their own investigation into some of these topics. But I, I like it personally. I'm biased, yeah. but I think it's a good show. No, it, not, it not is. Not as good as your show, but oh. pretty good. No, the, see, the, see what uh, I did there? Yeah, no, I, that was good. No, it's very true that when you're in practice, people keep their heads down. Now, I worked at a big, big firm that obviously had non-lawyer staff who did a lot of the keeping up on what the trends were. But I also worked at a small firm, and yeah, the, the partners have real jobs being lawyers. It's hard yeah. for them to know what's, what's the n- newest, latest thing is. And mm-hmm. there's a real gap there, and it's... It's useful to have a show that kind of covers that. You're not going to be on the next episode, though, you've no, said. No, so, yeah. Yeah, so we alternate. Heidi and I alternate, so okay. she's got the next one. I get a little bit of a break. But is it true that they, like, kill a pheasant for you every afternoon at a big law firm and cook that up for you? <laughs> or is that just, like, a rumor? That is not necessarily wrong. Uh, in, not every afternoon, but I, I definitely, at my firm, the tradition was on Friday at 5, it was a whole panoply of hot hors d'oeuvres and beer and wine and everything got rolled out. See, that's yeah. a good deal. We, yeah, had, we was... had Subway at the small firms, so you <laughs> made the right choice. Yeah, well, when I got to the small firm, I, I learned to live with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough adjustment. Well, so the lunch hour, the yeah. lunch hour on legal marketing. Yeah, I'm insane enough to have two podcasts. Um, yeah. The, the, the other podcast, however, I don't really like spend a ton of time on. So we have a... We have a summer series going on, a limited edition podcast, where we're interviewing some folks about legal marketing. We're calling it the Summer of Lunch, which <laughs> I, I guess I ripped off from some other people, but uh, I haven't got a cease and desist letter yet, so we're going forward with that. So we interviewed some pretty domain. cool people. That, all right, all right, good. I like that. <laughs> we, um, we've uh, interviewed Ed Walters from Fast Case, Lee McMillan from Avo, um, Kevin O'Keefe from LexBlog. That's coming out, and then uh, Larry Port from Rocket Matters. So that was a lot of fun. We did a little bit of irreverent stuff there. But at LOMAP, through LOMAP and also through the ABA and Legal Talk Network, because we partner with everybody, right? Um, yeah. We, we've got a, uh, a webinar series from September to June, and we call it Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. And it's just people talking about marketing, legal marketing experts for an hour at lunchtime on like the third Friday of every month. And so we've got PowerPoints worked up for that. We've got the audio, video of the presenters, and then we kick that over to the Legal Talk Network. So most of the time, it's a webinar series, but for the summer, I've been hosting it and actually interviewing people. But that's generally what it is. We, we, hit, we hit a lot of good topics, uh, marketing trends with a lot of people who I think do a really nice job with that. Nice. And it's before I move on to anything else, I, I was remiss because I was supposed to mention this in the intro. You'll also, to, the, in our continual, th- this, this just great wheel of cross-promotion that we're doing here, <laughs> you're also going to be presenting at an Above the Law event soon. You're going oh, to is be that right? The, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Academy for Private Practice, which we're holding on October 2nd. Tickets are available, people, so you can go to the Bubba of the Law to sign up for that. But yeah, you're going to be talking about these sorts of subjects uh, at our little 
academy to talk about how to be in private practice. Little. Yeah. Oh, wait, this is like a big deal. It's tough well, to get me out of Massachusetts for a program. I don't do this for everybody. But above should, the law, I'll be there. Yeah, I shouldn't say little. I guess what I meant by little is that we're not doing like a six-day long. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a day, yeah. yeah. Which is only I mean, more convenient, so that's good. Yes, definitely. I love some of these conventions, but by the end, you're like, how, how if, I were, if I were still in practice, how would I have been able to take five days to oh, go totally. to this thing? Like, yeah, so oh, a nice... Crazy. Constrained little uh, little event. All right. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm on two panels for you guys, actually. They keep adding me the panels, so by the time the event actually rolls around, maybe I'll be on like You should be on panels. all of them. I don't know. Yeah. That's right. I like, I like <laughs> that. Um, we're going to talk about workflow. I'm talking about workflow with Nikki Black, Carolyn Elephant, and Jennifer Ellis. Um, it's like, I think that's one of like the main lunch panels. And then I'm also talking about branded networks with uh, Susan Carrier, Liebel of Solo Practice University in the afternoon. So I'll be there all day, though. I'm actually, this is actually a small business trip I'm taking without my family, which Ooh. is a rare thing. So if you see me wandering around aimlessly, it's because children are not hanging off my legs. Yeah, yeah I could imagine that's, that's going to be a transition for you. It's strange. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to guarantee that a pacifier is not going to fall out of my pocket, but I will be solo <laughs> that day. And these are, these are some sort of upfront topics. I mean, workflow is a hot topic. Uh, branded networks for lawyers are hot topics as well. So uh, we should, we should, people should get a lot out of it if they attend and buy those tickets now. Yeah, no, definitely. So speaking of technology and emerging things, let's now transition to the subject of your book which is Twitter in one hour for lawyers. Mm. So break this down for what, what are the most important things, the, the nutshell, the top five, whatever, the, the most important things we need to know about us, using Twitter as lawyers? Oh, yeah. I mean, not a ton of lawyers are on Twitter, which is maybe not surprising. Most of the lawyers populate on uh, LinkedIn. Um, but Twitter, I think, can be really effective. So the first thing I tell lawyers is, you know, if you're going to use Twitter, have the right mindset in place. You're not necessarily going to get clients directly from Twitter, which I think is what a lot of people feel like. It's the whole hanging a shingle concept. Mm-hmm. I've got my Twitter profile. Um, now I'll just, like, get a bunch of clients because they see that I have a Twitter profile and I tweet to it every so often. I think Twitter is really a great place for referral business. You want to build up referrals on Twitter because you can have active conversations with those people, which becomes a little bit more difficult when you're talking about potential clients. And you can broadcast information about your specialty. It's just another channel for you to reach. Another thing I tell people is you want to make sure that you have a completed profile. And what I mean by that is basically if you have a profile that's a picture of an egg Yes. And no tweets <laughs> and no, no bio. Nobody's going to take you seriously. It's just like having a crappy website if you're a lawyer. You have to put at least some time into it. So get a nice headshot done. Post that to Twitter. And by the way, all your social media accounts. Draft a bio that's short, pithy, effective. And then try to post like on a fairly regular basis. And yeah, so what no. do you post is usually the next question that people have. Yeah. And I think there's sort of two ways to do it. So if you can... Start a blog, which I think may be less popular in other industries, but it's still popular with lawyers because lawyers are behind the curve on pretty much everything. Um, Of course, blogging is still super relevant because Above the Law is essentially a blog. Yeah. But if you can blog and post that to your Twitter account, your LinkedIn account, your Facebook account, your Google Plus account, every time you do it, you can reach into other channels and potentially have referral opportunities, direct client opportunities that you might otherwise miss if you're not in those areas. So post your own stuff. But you don't want it to be like a super salesy account. 
I know that sort of like uh, maybe odd because all we've been talking about are different products that we work on throughout this podcast. But mm-hmm. <laughs> don't make it a super salesy uh, Twitter account. You want to have uh, other people's content that you're posting as well. So one of the ways you can show your expertise is to become sort of a content curator as well. So maybe you know a lot about, let's say, nuclear regulatory law, and you write a blog on that. But you also can find information on that topic that clients, potential referral sources might be interested in, and you post that as well. Consistency is key as well. If you're going to post stuff, make it regular postings. Don't have one post and not post again three months out. So Yeah, and and that's one of the keys to building your Twitter network is if you are one of those folks with nuclear regulatory law, reach <laughs> out and start following the other nuclear regulatory folks because yeah. that's where you're going to find that, that stuff that you can then curate and retweet and keep your, uh, keep your profile you know, active, like you said. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, most people, and this is the problem with marketing for a lot of business people in general, but attorneys in particular, is they'll start something and then they'll either forget about it (laughs) or get head down again and not do anything with it. And it looks terrible if you have like 75,000 abandoned accounts in your wake. Yeah. Well, let's, the thing that we do usually in our last segment is employ the thinking like a lawyer mentality to something that's not necessarily legal, though in this case it kind of is. So my fantasy football draft coming up, (laughs) do I just at this point write off and take Tom Brady completely (laughs) out of the mix? I mean, that quarter of a season, I... uh, I don't know. Like that's that's the biggest thing because I see that that little recommended come up and I go. Mm. <laughs> I got a disclaimer and then uh-huh. I have an answer for you. <laughs> um, plus, I, I'm not tremendously good at thinking like a lawyer because obviously I stopped practicing. But right. uh, aside from the point, Eric Mazzoni, who's another um, practice management consultant in North Carolina, mm-hmm. he and I ran a fantasy football team together one year which was mm-hmm. just a flaming disaster in every sense <laughs> of the word. I encouraged him to draft no Sean Moreno in the first round. Ooh. And in any year that you did that, it was a bad decision. So <laughs> let me publicly apologize to Eric and then say, here's my disclaimer um, when I talk about Tom Brady. I drafted no Sean Moreno in the first round of fantasy <laughs> football draft. Um, I personally, I think Brady's going to get either one game or no games for Deflategate. So I think he's going to be a tremendous value in fantasy okay. drafts. If I'm looking at Brady, I'm, I'm probably still, I mean, if I can get Aaron Rodgers in the first round, I'm doing that. But, I mean, the quarterback position is not as strong as it has been in past years from the yeah. standpoint of there are surefire first-round draft picks. Drew Brees has been struggling. Manning's been hurt. Um, Roethlisberger's kind of iffy. So I would pick Brady in the, like, fourth or fifth round, get a decent backup, and run with him. Because, yeah. I, like I said, I think he's only going to miss one game, and he's going to put up good numbers. He always does. He always has crappy receivers. And, you know, he's just going to have to live with the fact that he has the smallest balls of any NFL quarterback. But other than that... <laughs> He's good to go. Draft Brady. Interesting. Yeah. No, I've been I've been very vocal on the the Twitters and such about I had a couple of cases with in front of Judge Berman and all this talk of all the sports media saying, well, you know, he's he's really going after and giving it to the NFL. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Yeah, I I've been in those meetings and he always kind of picked on the side that was gonna win. And like kind of transparently so. So I, I don't know. I, I'd be a little nervous that he was doing that because he's actually more more in the tank with the NFL, but I don't know. Yeah, I've heard but, some people say that. Yeah, like, and he was, 
as a judge, he was very, very kind of aggressive about getting the settlement. He wanted he wanted everybody to come together, and so he he was known for that. So I, that's why I've been watching that coverage not nearly as uh, not nearly as excited as my Boston friends uh, are about <laughs> how the uh, how the reports are coming down. Well, so what's I, your prediction? How many games does he get? See, I actually think it you may think stick it's upheld? with. I think it's up, I think it might be upheld simply on the grounds that that, that agreement is really bad. Like that that <laughs> that collective bargaining agreement basically has a line in it that says Roger Goodell is a god among men. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think that's I think that's a problem with that you might want to bring up the next time you bargain, but uh as it's written, I don't know as though he has he has much check on him. But I'm actually looking a little bit at Andrew Luck. He's got Andrew he's got Luck's Andre Johnson now. Yeah. yeah, I think that he could have that kind of a year that that Drew Brees had a couple years ago. I don't know. That's he, he I, could I, easily be the number one pick in fantasy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers just lost uh, Jordy Nelson too, so that's true. A concern. True. Yeah. No. I I got a I got my first of six drafts tonight, so I gotta Jeez, resolve animal. these things. Yeah. Well, it's wow. it's just one of those things that's proliferated over time. Like, I'm in yeah. one, and then I never really get out of it, and then another one comes along, so. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's true. Do, you have, do you have any, like, super good fantasy football team name suggestions for people? Any <laughs> any that are, like, readable on air? <laughs> I have I have never been good at the team name issue. Um, uh, yeah, it's a hard yeah. thing. Yeah, like, I, I always... I'll make some reference to a TV show or whatever. The good ones are the people who are able to take actual players' names and create a play on words with them. But I've never been, I've never been one for that. We did have a story on Above Law a couple of years ago. A, I believe it was the University of Mississippi. Maybe it was Ole Miss. Somebody, at, somebody there had, they leaked their, that it was like pre-law or law students had leaked the names of all the teams in their league. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we we had some fun with that memo. <laughs> That's actually, pretty cool, though. Yeah, Deadspin even picked that one up. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah, no, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a fun story. We all do stupid things in college, right? I just thank God yeah. that there was no Facebook when I was in college, because otherwise oh. I would be unemployable. That would, yeah, that, that could have been pretty brutal for us. I, Facebook really hit for me when I was uh, like a third or fourth year associate, so it wasn't quite that bad. Oh, yeah, by exactly. then, I, By then, everything was in control. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm so happy sometimes I predated the modern internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for being here. I'll look forward. I'll see you in, you know, what is yeah. it now? I'm trying to think how that's a month from now, October yeah, we'll 2nd. Meet in so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, thanks for being here. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you aren't listening to us on iTunes, you should definitely subscribe there. That way you can get. Get our subscribers up. You can also fill out a review there. You know, help us move up the rankings of law-related podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. Ellie is at Ellie NYC. You can read our stuff at AboveTheLaw.com and him often at ATLRedline.com. And that's pretty much everything I have to run through in my little post-show checklist of things to say uh, that I always have to try and remember off the top of my head. I'm sure you have the same sort of list. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, and we'll talk to everybody in a couple weeks. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.